I'm going to ask your, your verbal response. I'm going to prompt it by just saying good morning again to allow you to say good morning. Good morning. All right. Now I need you to spell something. I'm going to say some letters. If you just say what you hear spelled to you, uh, say out loud F-A-T. Uh, and you don't have to spell it, just say the, say the word. So F-A-T. H-E-R. Say it all together. Father. That was all over social media, I've, whether you're on TikTok or Instagram Reels. There's a bunch of people recording people and telling people, hey, would you spell F-A-T? Would you spell H-E-R? Now say it all together. And I'm sure if you said father, you didn't end up on social media. If you said fatter, and then you kept for a minute or two, like fatter, fat, you know, you, you can't figure it out. And it just, you got a framework given to you and it made you misunderstand. You couldn't quite get past that framework to something that's obvious. Spell it out, F-A-T-H-E-R. Oh, oh, wait, that's father. But you just can't get there because of the framework. And I was thinking about with music, if you've ever heard a song playing and then you try to remember the lyrics of some other song, it's just really hard. That frame of the song that's playing is like overruling your brain to get to the lyric that you want. And so the truth is most of us spend our lives with frameworks. We've got this kind of scaffolding of how you should see the world that, that our political sphere gives us, that our churches give us, that our families give us, that we give ourselves. And it gets hard to think outside of it. It's just hard to get out of that framework. And just as an example, I'm sure that, that you have probably had a political conversation in your life where you talked to someone who didn't agree with you, and you talked, and you gave the political talking points of your side, and they gave the political talking points of their side, and there was no conversation actually happening. You just were talking past each other with the scripts that we've been, been given. And there's something that's challenging when we have these, like we know the frameworks, and we just don't know how to talk beyond the frames that we've been giving us. And so, we are walking into a series about being out of the box. How do you get out of the box? How do you think out of the box? How do you live out of the box? Because God often is calling us beyond the little limitations we give ourselves, the little limitations those around us try to place us into. And I know that we have different experiences of trying to get out of the box. Some of us are, are very aware of the limitations around us. And we make New Year's resolutions. We make these plans. I'm gonna live different. I'm gonna think different. And then mid-January, February, eh, uh, those resolutions suddenly fade, and it's just hard to get out of the cycle that we are in. But for some of us, we're not aware of the limitations. We're not as aware of our boxes that we're stuck in, and so it's hard to get out of something that you don't even see. And so today we're going to talk through a story in the book of Numbers, and that book doesn't sound exciting. If you say, oh, all right, it's a book of numbers. Oh, man. But there's some really actually very interesting stories. And today's story is quite fascinating because it's about a prophet who's supposed to see things, who's supposed to see the divine, and yet he can't actually see what's in front of him, and it almost gets him killed. So if you've never heard the story of Balaam, you're in for a treat. So the story takes place in the time of the conquest. Israel is making their way towards the land of Canaan. They're, they're entering into the land, and they are defeating enemies on their left and right. And there's this king of Moab named Balak who sees Israel at a distance, sees their armies, hears stories about their battles, and he's getting a little afraid. 
Because he can think, well, the logical next step of this as they keep making their way towards me is I'm going to be next. And so he's scared of the armies. He's scared of what might happen. And so he comes up with a brilliant idea in his mind. He says, I'm going to go hire the the best prophet I can find to come pronounce blessings on me and curses on Israel. And that might seem like strange, but it's actually pretty normal for the way that we think even today. And so maybe you've been uncertain, kind of uneasy around something in your life. You're not sure of yourself. Is your family the, you know, as, as... strong and healthy as you would like it to be? Is your health okay? Is your finances okay? Whatever there's like anxiety around, all of us want some expert, some person we most trust in this area to walk up and say, everything's gonna be okay. Not just that, you're gonna get blessed. It's going to be amazing. And so for some of us, if if maybe you have a business adventure or you got your own finances and you're like, man, if I could just pay, like how much would I pay for Warren Buffett to show up and say, you know what? you're going to be okay. You're going to have some blessings ahead. Like, oh, what's that worth? Or maybe if you've had relationship problems and you've gone to a, um, a marriage counselor or something like that, what would you pay for your therapist to say you're right? No, I mean, to say that the marriage is okay, that it's going to be blessings. Because I think there's something in us that does want to long to hear somebody to speak out blessings, to speak out against your enemies, that they're going to get curses. And that's the frame of mind that Balak brings to this text, this Moab, Moabite king. He just wants to know everything's going to be okay. I need, can I go pay for the prophet to show up, pronounce blessings on us, curses on our enemies? He was stuck in the box of insecurity, and he wanted to hear words that it was going to be okay. And so Balak tries to pay to get the prophet Balaam, who um, we actually do have some inscriptions from the 800s BC of, of just, he was an ancient Near East prophet of some sorts, and he has some sort of renown for the area. He's the guru of prophecy in that culture, and he's not a Hebrew prophet, he's just out in that world. And so Balak sends word to him with some money, saying, please come, pronounce blessings on us, curses on our enemies. And there's this kind of back and forth where Balaam's like, you know what, I I got to get the dream that tells me, yes, this is what I should do. And they go back and forth. Balak sends them more and more money. And eventually Balaam says, okay, I'm going to go. And he is on his path to come pronounce blessings on Moabites and curses on Israel. And so he's going on this trip, and we don't know exactly, there's a city name, there's a bunch of debate, we don't really know where the city is at that he's from, but he's going on this trip to go to the Moabite armies. And so he's got his donkey, he's making his way along the path, and he's riding along when suddenly the donkey veers off the path. And it veers into the like, farmland, it says. He's off the path, he's in the midst of the farmland. I don't know if it's like corn crops, that wouldn't be fun. I don't know what kind of farmlands he's being veered off into. But if you can imagine driving down the highway and your car just suddenly decides it's going to take a turn, uh, you'd be a little concerned about it. And so Balaam's angry, he strikes his donkey, and uh, he goes about his way, he keeps going. Now, what the donkey has seen in the story is he sees an angel of the Lord on the path with a sword. That's not what you want to see. 
But he sees this angel of the Lord because God's angry, doesn't want Balaam to come prophesy against Israel. And so this donkey sees this, this war angel ready to fight, and the donkey wants nothing to do with that, and so veers him off into the field. Balaam does not know any of this is going on, so makes it back on the path, keeps going. Eventually the path gets to a narrow section and there's, I guess, walls on both sides and it's this narrow path and there's an angel of the Lord again wall and Balaam is not happy with this donkey. Beats the donkey again. So frustrated and upset. And then they go further. And eventually there's not going to be much room to get out of the way. And so I'm going to read for you from Numbers 22 a little bit of what comes next. And so the Lord had been angry. I'm going to read this, this text more fully for you. God's anger was kindled because Balaam was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing on the road with the drawn sword in hand. So the donkey turned off the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it scraped against the wall and scraped Balaam's foot against the wall. Nobody likes their toe getting stubbed. And so he struck it again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with a staff. I'm going to pause there. So this donkey has been veering left and right, veering out of the way. There's no veering possibilities anymore. And the donkey's just like, I'm done. I'm stopping. No more. I'm laying down. This task is not for me. And the writer, Balaam, the prophet, is frustrated because he's like, okay, you've been taking me all over. You won't even go anymore. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and so Balaam asks, uh, it says, the, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey tells the prophet, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? Now, this is a weird day. Uh, I don't know if you've got any pets, but if you imagine your pet's got one day to say something, you wouldn't want it to be when you were most unpleasant towards that pet. But this, this donkey he's had his whole life suddenly gets the chance to talk and says, hey, what did I do to get struck three times today? And Balaam strangely talks back. I think he would have just fallen down himself in confusion. But Balaam says to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand. I would kill you right now. Uh, that's some anger. Um, because you would think that the first thing would have stopped you in your tracks of, okay, wait, why is this donkey talking to me? But he doubles down. He goes even harder. And that tends to happen to us when we get kind of caught. Sometimes we dig our heels in and say, okay, I'm not giving up yet. I'm going to just double down on the situation. But the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way? And the prophet simply says, No. And then the Lord opens the eyes of Balaam, and he sees the angel standing on the road with his drawn sword drawn in hand, and bowed down, and he fell on his face. Pause there. So Balaam thinks 
he understands what's going on in this text. He thinks he knows what's going on in the story of his life. He thinks, I've been paid for a job. I'm supposed to go, I'm supposed to imagine that I'm seeing what the spirits tell me. I'm going to pronounce blessings. I'm going to pronounce curses. And yet the story did not go the way he expected that day. He can't even make it there easily. His donkey uh, keeps letting him down. He gets frustrated and frustrated, and he's getting angrier and angrier. And then when the donkey talks to him, he gets angrier again. But the whole time, he was oblivious to what was actually going on in the story. And so God opens his eyes. He sees the angel, and he's like, oh my. Oh, I, I think he suddenly cared about his donkey again. Oh, you weren't actually against me. You were actually trying to help me. Oh, uh, something different is going on in this story. And so one of the things I think this story invites us to think about is how important our words are. Because I think we, we live in an age where you can tweet, you can Facebook share, you can, you can say all sorts of stuff all the time. But think about the value of words that were placed in the story. I'm going to spend a bunch of money so you'll show up and pronounce blessings on me and curses on someone else. Now, you might not get paid for it, but like you have that same power of some, in someone's life. You can show up and say words of blessing or say words of curse. You bring that with you. And so we are invited to think about what have we been using our words for? Have we been blessing others? Have we been cursing others? What have we been doing with our words? Would people around you in your life pay to have your words? Some of us know like when we have like um, life and death situations, someone's about to pass and they're thinking, I just want to hear from this one person. Please, I hope they can make it. I want to I talk to someone. And maybe now with phones, it's a little bit different, but you still want that in-person thing. It's that person means so much to you that you just cherish every last word. You want a few more words. But there's also people in your life who might pay you to keep your mouth shut. I do not want to hear another line. What would it cost me if you would just stop talking? Our words have so much importance. They create the scaffolding for people's lives, that they create the boxes around some people. We sometimes curse them by closing them in too tight the way we want them to be that might not be how God wants them to be. And some people bring blessing that opens up eyes, that opens up stories to see that God is bigger than the world has shut you into a small little box. Something else this text invites us into is that sometimes the thing that frustrates you the most is actually a misunderstood blessing. I'm sure you've had this happen in your life that you wanted something so desperately. You were so hopeful for it. You were so mad when it didn't work out. And then you got the rest of the story. You're like, whew, I barely made it through that. I, I'm so glad I did not get what I wanted in this situation. For some of us, we see the world with kind of a negativity. And so let's say um, a coworker, a, a loved one, someone is late. You have the ability to live in suspicion of like, oh, I guess they don't really care. I guess they don't manage their time well. I guess the, all the deficiencies of that person. But if you then found out that they were planning a surprise for you, that they had done something for you, a blessing for you, suddenly you have to eat those words, those thoughts, those feelings, and be like, ah, why did I jump to that conclusion? For Balaam, he thinks this donkey is just an awful donkey. 
And when his eyes are open, he's like, oh my goodness, you were saving me. I was so mad at you and you were helping me. And we sometimes lash out at the people who are helping us in our lives, that, that love us, that care for us, but we are just, we're just in the wrong frame of mind. And we can't see the blessing that's possible. And so sometimes the thing that we most want, we might be overlooking something, we might not see some sort of obstacle in the way that would, would cause us even more pain. And maybe we should be appreciating that okay, this path isn't open. Maybe there's a reason this path isn't open for me. I, maybe, maybe it's a good thing to be diverged from this path today. Something else that happens in the story, God meets Balaam there in the, in the text. And he's not a Hebrew prophet, but God meets him and says, I, I want you to just say the words that I give you. I'll let you go. You can keep going. But when you go to Balak, you've got to say my words. And so if you can imagine being hired for a task and then having to walk forward and not knowing whether you're going to be doing this very well or not, uh, I'm going to go to the Moabite king and I'm going to say the words, but I can't get to pick them anymore. I've got to say someone else's words. I sure hope God picks some words that work out for me in this story. And so Balaam shows up at the camp, and they do this big ritual. They kill a bunch of animals for sacrifices. They set up this cultic priestly scene, and they go, the floor is yours, Balaam. And you can imagine he walks up to the stage and says, Israel's going to be blessed. They're going to grow. What Nothing will stand against them. And the Moabites are thinking, do you understand what you're doing here? You know, we hired you to bless us, to curse them. How dare you? And if you remember how important words are in the ancient culture, you don't get to take the words back in the same way. Like we think, oh, well, hey, my bad. Here, let me fix this. Let me try it again. But in the ancient world, think about Jacob and Esau, that story. Jacob tricks his father into blessing him. The story doesn't say, oh, Jacob says, my bad, and then blesses Esau. He says, what can I do? I've already pronounced my blessing. And in this story, they actually try it again. They say, you know what? Let me retell you, Balaam. You are here to bless us, to curse them. Let's try this again. So they kill a bunch more animals. They set the sacrifice scene. Balaam gets up there and says, God is going to bless Israel. And they're thinking, come on. Why are you world-renowned? Why are you this big prophet? Like, this is awful. You are, this, you are terrible at this job. They do it not two times, not three times, four times in the text. Please, Balaam, try again. And he keeps pronouncing blessings on Israel and curses on Moab. It's very easy to misidentify heroes and enemies of stories. There, we live, and you might have gone through changes in your life, that there are people who think differently, that live differently than you, that you just assumed are obviously the bad guys of the story. You had some other experience, you had some encounter with God, and you're like, you know what? I probably should have been a little bit more humble, a little more patient in my identification of who obviously is the right or the wrong person of this situation. 
When Balaam is making his way to Moab, he thinks he knows who's the heroes of the story, who are the enemies of the story, but he had the wherewithal to take the, the word of God and say, maybe I had this story wrong. Here's the blessings for the people you think are the enemies, the bad guys. Here's the curses for the people we think are the heroes. And let me tell you, the people who show up with tons of money and cash for you and gifts always seem like the heroes. Balaam would not be faulted for having that easy assumption in the story. When they show up and they keep showing up with more and more gifts, suddenly you start looking like heroes. And this happens in our world, sometimes on bigger public stages. We've all seen stories of the political figures that maybe they had great intentions, but the more and more lobbyists who show up, the harder and harder it is to stand up against something. But we do this in our own lives, that sometimes, well, you know, I get some benefit here. Maybe I can redraw the lines of, of good guy and bad guy, of hero of enemies. And so Balaam showed us that Sometimes you can be stopped in, the, in your tracks and, and reevaluate who are the heroes and the villains of the story. And I think there's something to talk about Balaam being stopped on the track. You know, his donkey gets veered off track. He stops moving. And it, I can't help but hear that story and then think about the New Testament with the life of Paul. He had his own journey that that, that trip to Damascus did not go as he expected. He went to persecute the church, and he has to stop, and, and he sees this vision, he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He had mixed up. He had thought the church was villainous, was, was everything he had feared, everything he thought was wrong in the world. And like the donkey of the story, why are you hurting me? Jesus said to him, why do you persecute me, Saul? And so it's, it's from that voice, from the voice of Paul, when he talks, when the text we read in the prayer time from 1 Corinthians 1, he talks about God's wisdom being greater, being more than what we have in our own. And so Paul talks about, uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And what I love about that verse is the Greek words of it, also translate to us really easily. We proclaim Christ crucified, a scandal to Jews, and moronic to Gentiles. I like that the words that they used, just we kept them. The scandal of the gospel. That it's a pitfall, it doesn't make sense, it traps me, I don't understand, it's taking me off my path. It makes no sense. Why on earth does a crucified Savior change the world? A crucified savior to the Romans is a failed revolution. A crucified savior to the, the Jewish religious leaders was a cursed person. Neither of those vantage points have a way of seeing the power of the cross. And so for those of us who are called, though, the cross is the power and the wisdom of God. And I don't know what you most fear, but I think the boxes of limitations in our lives that we think, I can't get out of this, it's because we're afraid we're going to fail. We're afraid we're going to be found to be nothing. We're going to be found to be less than, inferior. But the story of Jesus is that the cross that you fear so much is not the most powerful. It is not the last word. 
But the path of Christ goes through crosses and into empty tombs. And so for however you are feeling today, whatever you might feel insecure about, whatever boxes you feel like are confining you, I hope that you have a little sense that maybe the donkey of your life that's taking you down that journey might just veer you off track, might veer you into thinking afresh, to opening your eyes, that maybe you might find Jesus on your Damascus Road journey. You might be revealed that where you are both living well and where things might need to change. And so today, may we be invited on that journey. May we think freshly about where we stand with God. And may your words today be felt as blessings. May they be felt as important as that they matter. And may we all strive to follow God wherever that path leads us. Be okay when there's an angel saying, hey, this path is not the one for you for right now. But that there is a path God is inviting you into today. And so, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to invite us that we might just reflect on what God might be calling us into today. What blessings might we be misunderstanding? What truths might we be not seeing right? What things are we certain that we know who's the heroes and who are the enemies that we need to reevaluate? So would you pray with me? Lord, it's not lightly that we pray that we ask that you might veer our track, our, our directions where they need to veer. Lord, sometimes we are so focused on one goal that we miss what's around us. Lord, I ask that you might just open our eyes, that we might see afresh uh, your work in this world, in our lives, and those around us. Lord, I ask that you might just bring our path in line with the path that you invite us onto. Lord, I ask that you might soften our hearts, that the places that we are so certain of who's our enemies, of those who are wrong, of those who are outsiders, that we might look afresh to see people from your vantage point with your eyes. Lord, help us to see those in our lives instead of with doubt, that we might see them hopefully with their potential of who they can be in you and, and not who we want to limit them to. For everyone who's been told that they are not enough, that they are insignificant, that they can't measure up, Lord, we pray that your blessing, your words, your truth might just rule over them, that they might see themselves as you see them, that they might recognize that they are your children. Lord, we ask that we might just live into all that you are making us into being today. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.